0: said we're looking at um, the road to Emmaus today um and it's one of those classic road trip um, passages um there's quite a few of them in this like little end of gospel's beginning of um, Luke, uh, beginning of acts kind of series um and yeah um <laughs> kept thinking about um my one time in year twelve doing media studies where we we did road movies as our genre which was very niche but um taught me a lot about um the different things that you can learn in in the road movie or road story as we've got um cool it's quite a long passage but i'll just read through it quickly um i'm reading from the message translation yeah sweet let's get into it so we're in luke chapter 24 yep um 13 to 35 That same day, two of them were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. I looked this up. Seven miles is about 11K. Um, They were deep in conversation, going over all these things that that had happened. In the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked alongside them. But they were not able to recognize who he was. He asked, what's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They just stood there, long-faced, like they had lost their best friend. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, said, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last five days? He said, What's happened? They said, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. Then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And it is now the third day since it happened. But now some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. They came back with the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of our friends went to the tomb to check it and found it empty just as the woman said, but they didn't see Jesus. Then he said to them, So thick-headed, so slow-hearted. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophet said? Don't you see that these things had to happen, that the Messiah had to suffer, and only then enter into his glory? Then he started at the beginning with the books of Moses and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the scriptures that referred to him. They came to the edge of the village where they were headed. He acted as if he was about to go on, but they pressed him. Stay and have supper with us. It's nearly evening. The day is done. So we went with them. And here is what happened. He sat at the table with them. Taking the bread, he blessed and broke it and gave it to them. At that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him. And then he disappeared. (laughs) Back and forth, they talked. Didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road? As he opened the scriptures for us? They didn't waste a minute. They were up and back on their way to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and their friends gathered together, talking away. It's really happened. The master has been raised up. Simon saw him. Then the two went over everything that happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. I really like this story. This story has a lot of hallmarks of, like, good theater in it. There's, like, high emotional drama going on. There's a happy ending. Um... And there's a whole heap of what's called dramatic irony, uh, where you as an audience know something that the characters don't, and that changes how you perceive and experience the situation. Um, pretty much, it's funny because we know it's Jesus, and they don't. Um, it makes me think of pretty much every time I've had one of those interactions where someone's like either not recognized me, or I've not recognized them. Um, and yeah, some people will let you know. I'm, I'm just really brutal about being like quite often if someone doesn't recognize me, I'll be like, we've met, you, we met at this point point," um, and just like have to, have to clarify it. Um, there was a really funny situation where Spanky Moore, um, I was messaging him about something that he was running and he thought I was Jess Adams for a minute. Okay. And so he wrote something about like, oh, so good on the live stream the other day. Like, really well done. And because I was in the live stream, too, I just kind of was like, oh, yeah, like, he talked about me playing. That was a bit weird, but, you know, we'll, we'll roll with it. And then he, like, went back and retracted his, his like, affirmation. <laughs> and then I couldn't leave it. I had to go and be like, yo, actually, I was in the live stream, but um, all good. So, she Adams, if it hadn't been said enough, so good on the live stream that I <laughs> um, Thank you, really loved it. Um, yeah. we remember though that this is not just a story with some humor um it has a purpose beyond providing a little bit of like comic relief and a change of scene in a pretty tense part of the narrative along um with a bunch of other um appearances jesus shows once again this post resurrection life that he has um and he's added to his habits of walking into closed rooms and disappearing now that he can appear in disguise also um (laughs) There is also in this um, a reminder of the meta narrative that um, Jesus's life and resurrection fits in. And it's one tiny little story in this huge and beautiful and often frustrating story that um, we live into. So, the sermon will be jumping around the passage a bit, but um, there are three invitations that I see in this. Um, so, we start in the middle with um, the bread representing the ordinariness um, of how we encounter God and the invitation in there um, to to meet with God in our everyday lives. And from that, there's an invitation to understand and to repent. And from there, there is a third invitation to live and to believe. So beginning um, with that first invitation um, of God in the ordinary um, and yeah, I think probably most of you guys will be like, oh yeah, cool, Jessie's talking about bread again. Um, here <laughs> is the bread that I made this morning. <laughs> yes. Um yeah. In case you didn't know, um last year I had a whole bunch of words about bread and it's become one of the main um spiritual disciplines that I do is is to make bread um for my flat each week. Um and when we meet together. Um, it's become a real joy to also make bread for communion um most of the time sometimes I forget and other times I leave it in the oven um yeah i I just want to show you i I might have got a little bit um a little bit preoccupied with um some vaguely sermon related things um but um, yeah as i was as i was dis- as I was thinking about this um I put together this beautiful slide of bread and bread related images that I had on my phone. Um, And, yeah, it took me way longer to put the slide together than what it should have. But it took me no time at all to find these photos. Um, And I probably could have filled, like, another couple of slides of people sending me photos of their bread because, you know, we're in lockdown, everyone's making sourdough. I love bread. It's so good. It's filling, it's carb, it's comfort. I think we're all duped by the fact that um, we like a lot of us grew up in the in the years of the food pyramid, where it sat at the like pride of place at the bottom, um, Mm. mainly because of grain lobbies. But I think we also definitely wanted to be duped duped by that. Um, (laughs) Bread is good, my friends. Bread is good. I'll stop sharing my screen now. One of the other things, though, that I found about bread (laughs) in general (laughs) is that we keep needing it. We don't eat one great meal and then we're sweet for life. Um, We will still need breakfast the next morning after eating a beautiful dinner. Um, After getting our little Penang, um, we're still gonna yet feel hungry a couple of hours later maybe. Hopefully most of you brush your teeth this morning um, and you're gonna need to brush them again tonight. And again to the day after that. There are a thousand small things that we do again and again. And we just need to do them. They're just part of our ordinary, everyday life. And just like those very ordinary things that we need to do, like eat some toast in the morning or brush our teeth, we need God every day as well. Mm. And um, I don't remember, like, even with bread, I don't remember standout loaves of bread that are baked. Um, <laughs> it's, it is It is just bread. It is, at one level, the most basic and um simple thing it is water and flour and a little bit of salt and some time and that's all it is but it comes together um it's just the ordinary things that we need to do each day so for me bread is shorthand for these run-of-the-mill things but it's also i believe a chance to taste and smell and see and feel god with us as real as he is in this story as a resurrected real person Um, to two grieving friends. So in this passage, it's significant to me that it's the breaking of bread that Jesus has recognized. These two friends on the road have a lot of needs, but it's in their most basic, that of eating after making a long journey and getting to the end of the day. That's where Jesus is most real and most present. And it's this encounter, the divine unknown company on the road was a foretaste of. Mm. And that's important because I often think We remember the story as that one where Jesus is um, telling his friends about himself, um, but they don't know it's him. It says Jesus breaks the the bread that their eyes are open and they become aware of who they're eating with. And this is an essence communion, the ordinary elements becoming sacred by being broken and shared in the memory of the most traumatic events, becoming more real and transformed into something beautiful. Recently, I've been reading a book called Liturgy of the Ordinary, um, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. Um, I've already messaged Rose being like, we need to get this for the library. Um, Yeah. In the first chapter, I found this following. um, But in it's, yeah, the whole book is pretty amazing. So uh, the author says this, life is lived in 24-hour days. We have bodies. We lag in energy. We learn slowly. We wake daily and we don't know what lies ahead. We look at faith in small moments, spiritual formation in its molecular form, not because it's all that matters, but because the only life any of us have to live is daily pedestrian humanity. All we have are the days that we have. And this could include a momentous encounter with the very presence of God, or it could just include toast for breakfast. Let me be clear that I'm not saying um, one of two things here. I'm not saying that these big moments don't still happen. I know that they do. We can share stories and we hear stories each and good stories of, of momentous breaking in of um, God in our lives. Um, and I'm not saying also that um, every tiny action that we take um, is uh, has huge spiritual gravitas. But what I am saying is what I am hope is that we can learn to train our attention and our intention to be always open-eyed, wide-eyed mm-hmm. and recognizing of God in our midst. So our first invitation from the story is to see God encounters in the ordinary. And mm-hmm. from that um, comes a second invitation to understand and repent. When I was overseas last year, I was quizzed a lot on family history um, mm-hmm. and um Yeah, connections with places, um, more than I ever am here in New Zealand, and probably the reason why I'm not quizzed here in New Zealand is because I grew up in a predominantly Pākehā world, uh, where whakapapa isn't important in the same way it is in a teāo Māori sense. Um, But even in another Western context, it struck me about how little I knew and how little I could respond. Um, I'd read up on parts of my family history before I went overseas, and I still couldn't remember the town where my grandfather was born. Um, actually, the most answers—hilariously—the most answers I had was when um, my friend Zoe um, was Cook um, was quizzing me about the Irish girls who were dating her brothers, and then when Jenny's mum was quizzing me about the Cook family. Um, <laughs> yeah, those were definitely the most like questions I got as well. My family valued a lot of things about being family, but we didn't really um, put that same level of um, knowledge and learning of our history um, the generations past, um, except for my grandfather who had it as a hobby. Even with that research, I can at most trace my genealogy about five generations back and then records end and we have no clear idea where our ancestors are from. And I felt that pain of disconnection that I couldn't, yeah articulate how I related to this space, and it got me thinking of a time when I was in um Tairawhiti on the east coast um last year um and I got to hear from Archbishop Don Tamahiri. yeah and he um in a very very short amount of time um just rattled off like thirty generations past going back um of his family line um and it wasn't um just like the names that he would tell us stories um, about, um, yeah, his great, 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 great grandfather. Um, And then because he's um, part of the Anglican church as well, um, part, um, like he, yeah, he holds that um, as part of his um, identity as well. He could turn and give the genealogy of Jesus um, with the same attention. Um, He could like list off the um, sons of Jacob. Um, And it wasn't some show off thing about his recall but it was because um, to introduce himself properly, we needed to learn that part of his history. Rose reminded us a couple of weeks ago of this big story that we're a part of. And I think the pain of not knowing all that much about my own story um, is reflected also in the pain that I feel in not knowing the bigger family history that I'm a part of as a child of God. Mm -hmm. So there's an invitation here um, to learn. Claire Path and his friend learns a lot on this journey I think there's probably some high input and connectedness strengths which jesus is tapping into. Uh-huh. they they know the stories they know how to articulate who jesus was but yeah they don't yet understand the resurrection um in fact it's probably really likely that no one at this time really understood the resurrection it wasn't part of their kind of understanding of what was um what was going to happen um, so, Jesus' teaching on the road is probably exploding their minds, um, not because it's new information, but because it's new connections and new frameworks to hold that information in. I tell you all of this after talking about encounters in the ordinary, because um, often this is not a clear linear process in our lives. We don't often um, have the frame set out and then get the information and then can make um, the change in our lives. Um Sometimes we'll hear something and we'll see something and we'll, um, yeah, slowly over time start sorting it into place and eventually maybe there'll be that, that breaking of bread moment, um, the puzzle piece that kind of holds it all together. One of the ways that um, theology as a discipline is framed is faith-seeking understanding. Um, Jesus in this passage is a theologian speaking of himself in the Old Testament. He doesn't give these friends more information but he gives them more understanding when they realize who they have been speaking to and all the teaching that Jesus has given suddenly becomes more real and more understood and they ask each other didn't our hearts burn within us and I wonder why sometimes Jesus keeps himself hidden um, until that moment But I think, yeah, there's something in that he reveals himself at the right time so that these two friends can understand fully all that has been shared that day. Um, And even though it doesn't seem to make sense to us, um, it it is the right time for Jesus to share that. As I was speaking about this idea, I was struck by the idea of repentance. And that seems full on. um, And there's a bit of a stereotype that repentance is doing something horribly wrong and punishing yourself for that. But um, repentance really is just moments where we are called to re-examine and to bring our new understandings together with what we um, previously know know and now see different. I -hmm. repent of the fact that I don't know my family history as well as I should. It helps me remember that the information I have is important and that my identity in God is more important. And because I'm human, I need that reminder often. Unfortunately, there's no switch that we flip where we know all this information perfectly um, and we understand all things necessary to remove all doubt. The journey of learning and remembering where our hearts burned is the journey of life. There's another really important aspect to this invitation. We don't know and understand in isolation from one another. This repentance isn't hard learning on our own. Klaipas and his friend might not be super known to us in the Bible. This is the only mention and we only learn one of their names. But they understood because they discussed together. A really important aspect of that is that they go through this whole journey together. They shared with one another vulnerably. I can imagine they were probably a bit ashamed um, that they hadn't even noticed their most beloved friend. And yeah, that's important for us too. We don't do this journey alone. And even now in the season that we find ourselves in, um, we are called to repent and to understand together. We don't wait for um, things to go back to whatever they looked like um, before, before we do that. But we, we keep doing that now. So in this passage, the first invitation is to see God in the ordinary. And from that, we are invited to understand what we know already, to repent from where we have held that knowledge or misunderstanding as pride. And then we come to the third invitation to live and to believe. We might know that we've met God and know that that changes things, but this passage shows a third really important invitation in these last few verses. Even though it is late and the journey is relatively long, um, yeah, 11k, probably looking at about, like, two, two and a half hour walk, um, depending on terrain. Like, a decent slog. Cleoplas and his friends run as fast as they can back to the others still in Jerusalem. By the time they get there, the others have already seen Jesus again and they believe in the resurrection. So they're kind of like their big trunk card is already gone. Um, <laughs> but there's something I think, so I can imagine the real reason that these two were so prompted to run back was, yeah, not just to share um, that, but to share in the hope um, that they now had and share the understanding that they had um, found through all that Jesus had shared, um, had told them, and um, through the sharing of bread together. This passage, um, this whole story is full of movement. Um, There's no kind of, like, standing still in this passage. Um, Most obviously, there is the long walk to Emmaus, and then the quick turnaround back to Jerusalem. Um, But then there's also the movement um, in Emmaus of... um, Jesus continuing on or pretending to continue on and then him coming into um, this home and then Jesus swapping places with these friends um, and hosting these friends, even though he was the one who was invited in. And then even smaller than that, there's the movement um, that we see so often um, Scott do with the bread, with the like breaking it. All of these moves have a, have a purpose. It's not movement for its own sake. And that is to tell the story of Jesus, to interpret it and to have fellowship and to share it with others. And that is pretty much what it means to be church. This will be a church that we're a part of. We're part of a church on the move, sent out by God who walks alongside us, even when we don't recognize him. And we don't do these things just so we can say that we've done them, just like we don't learn these things just so we can say that we know them. We do things because we are sure of the hope we have in the resurrection and who we are in this grand movement towards the kingdom coming on earth. Belief is only belief when it is lived out in action. Traditionally in Easter tide, the season that we find ourselves in after um, Easter, we look at the book of Acts. Um, Acts is a book where we see Jesus at work through his spirit in the disciples, Last year when I was studying, my lecturer was really clear that it's not like a new character shows up on the scene. Um, The Spirit has always been there and Jesus is still there. Um, It is, yeah, Jesus acting through the Spirit in the believers. Um, And that hasn't changed today. Jesus is at work through the Spirit in us. We embody Him to one another. It happens in our homes, in our ordinary lives together. When we have the chance to break bread and share the joy in the presence of Jesus with us, it happens over zoom as well. Teresa of Avila um, is known for, um, yeah, her take on, on what it means to be um, embodying Jesus to one another. Um, And so she says, Christ has no body now, but yours, no hands, no feet on earth, but yours, yours are the eyes, through which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body now on earth but yours. At the moment, our movement is still quite curtailed. Our relations with one another are limited mostly to digital communications. But we are still called to live into the spirit-filled way of life, of being the hands and the feet and the eyes in the body of Christ. To live and to believe in the one who is in us and in heaven. So to end, the road to Emmaus shows us the encounter with God in the ordinary. And the encounter with God in the ordinary invites us to understand and repent. And from understanding and repentance, we are invited to live and believe. In that same book that I quoted earlier, the Liturgy of the Ordinary, um, Tish Harrison Warren, the author, says, How I spend this ordinary day in Christ is how I will spend my Christian life. Jesus is in the ordinary people and things and practices, and this is encounter with the Most High. The encounter changes the past. It helps us know where we are and it changes the future where we are going. Living into this is both as normal as eating bread or having a conversation and as supernatural as communing with the God of the universe. So let's look in this week for invitations to understand more deeply what we might already know so that our knowledge can become formation. And Let's go one step further by starting now and practicing moving toward more encounters with God and with one another. My prayer this week is that we remember our God as our friend who is here through his spirit with us. And that we remember and practice repentance and belief alongside and with one another in whatever ways we can. And my prayer is also that everyone can eat bread together soon and be met in all their needs.